If you have your scriptures with you, open them to Psalm 129. And we're going to continue this wonderful series uh, called The Pilgrim's Path, going through these 15 Psalms of Ascent. These are psalms that were collected from the wider body of the psalms, uh, probably long after they were written, they were collected, collated into a little mini hymnal. They come right towards the end of the book of Psalms, and they are for the express purpose of assisting pilgrims on their uh, way, on their journey to Jerusalem three, four times a year for the, for the various feasts, and they would sing or chant these uh, hymns uh, as they went along. And as Marcos pointed out last week, the temple also had 15 steps from the ground up to the, the higher part of the temple uh, precincts. And those steps, they believe, and we have data about that, that they actually would chant these songs as they took, made their way up those 15 steps. Uh, it's a beautiful way. They're short. Most of them are eight or nine, ten verses, eleven maybe. A great way for all of us. You could start your day with any one of these psalms and just read through it and think. Give yourself five minutes just to think about what is being said there. You'll find a realism and a truth that is extraordinary. The pilgrim psalmist does not paint life like, oh, everything's cherries and roses and smells and, you know, Bambi in the forest and all that. Not at all. He realistically acknowledges the hardship of living in this life and some of the unfairness that we're just bombarded with. You look at the world around and you think, how can there be a God? How in the world can there be a God? Especially the God of Christianity. We claim He's a good God who loves people. How can that be possible? You look around and see the world the way it is. Now that's the kind of realism that I want in my life. I don't want to fool myself into thinking that I live in Disneyland. And any of you that have been to Disneyland, you know it's great going in, it's horrible coming out. Your kids are screaming, Everybody, your wallet is empty, empty, your credit card is full, full. The happiest place on earth. Really? I lived in Orlando six years, I can tell you. We used to just go to the parking lot and watch people go in and out. That was more fun than the park. <laughs> Everybody's dancing going in and miserable coming out. If you, if you pretend that life is supposed to be a bowl of cherries and that you should have every good thing you want and you should have it now, Christianity is not a good religion. It's going to disappoint you. The reason is because of these psalms. These psalms have a context. That context is eternity. It's an eternal perspective that every Christian, you've got to, that has got to be burned into your psyche. That this is not the end. God never planned for this to be the end. And heaven is not the goal. Heaven is just a stopping off point till we come back to this earth with our Lord and His armies and rule here forever in His very presence. It's an awesome, mind-boggling vision of pilgrimage. It'll put your entire life... Listen. It'll put your entire life into a different context, if you start building that reality of what these psalms are teaching us. 
So let's read 129. I'm sorry, this is kind of a lengthy introduction, but let's read this. Uh, I'll read it out loud, and you can skim your bulletin if you want to follow. You can read it in your Bible, or if you have the cool apps. I've got all kinds of Bible apps on my phone. I'm going to stand under great judgment when I get to heaven, because I have like tons of Bible apps. And God's going to ask me, what? how come you didn't spend a little more? You had all these apps. Why are you spending time on Facebook? What are you looking at YouTube for? You didn't spend that much time with me. So I hope you didn't hear me say that. But uh, anyway, let's read the Word of God. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, Greatly they have afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers have plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous, and He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. This is the Word of God. The way this psalm is organized, it's in, it's in couplets. In other words, instead of it being a, what I told you over the weeks, uh, they have different structures in Hebrew. The way they would write was as important as what they were writing. They wanted the eye or the ear to fall at a certain place so that you could emphasize. They didn't use punctuation like we did and have exclamations and all that. It was literally m- much more tactile. In other words, if you could read, and not many could, but if you could, you would see the way the, the passages were organized, and you could see what the psalmist was trying to push forward. And so there was a chiasm that you'd see. In fact, you see it in a lot, even in the New Testament. But in this psalm, they're couplets. They're little parallel statements. So, and they communicate something. They're communicating to us the condition that we experience as we're making our pilgrimage along. It can be extraordinarily helpful. So let me, let me have you look at the first couplet. This is verse 1 and, and 2. Greatly they have afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly they have afflicted me from their youth, from my youth. What this was, was this is an antiphony. You know, we do this, we just finished doing it, where the reader, or in the old Scottish uh, church, I think they called it, they would be a line out, he would line out things. They had a chanter. In the, uh, those of you who have maybe a Roman Catholic background, or like me, Eastern Orthodox, they had chanters, and these chanters would say something, the congregation would respond. And so there was this antiphony, Greatly they have afflicted me from my youth. And then the, the group, the, the church would answer back. And I would say, let Israel now say, go ahead folks, you do it. Greatly they have afflicted me. So I would say, greatly they have afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, and greatly they have... So you can, 
You can imagine how this antiphony would have run. You know, they would have a group, a, a reader and a group here and a group over here and they would be doing that. You see this throughout the Psalms. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's so that you could experience the, the resonance of voices. The singular voice, the individual who suffers. You know, we suffer in ways we think, God, nobody's suffering like me. I'm having the... Who can understand me? Maybe you've had some experience in your life and you just think, nobody could possibly understand me. This acknowledges and reinforces the reality of, yes, your individual affliction matters. Yes, it is unique. Yes, it's horrible. And yes... Nobody can understand, but let Israel say around us, let them say, we also together, we have afflictions. We have suffering. We have sorrow. And it's been from my youth. You know, our kids, our, our youngsters are little, and you know, we try to protect them and give them the best life. In fact, when my, grandparent, my grandkids are here, my role, my role is one. And that is to entertain them. That's all I exist for. I tell them, come on, let's go for a walk. I'm going to take you where I go walking on, on uh, each morning. You know, I take them down into this arroyo and I walk for a couple miles. And they're excited. Oh, we can't wait to go on the walk. So I take them for a walk. And they go around one time. That's it. Okay, we've done that. What's next? What are you going to do now? How are you going to excite me now? I go, no, we're going back there tomorrow. Oh, no, we're not doing that tomorrow. <laughs> you got to do better than that. You've got to keep me stimulated. These are my grandkids, so I do. But I recognize that from our youth, from the littlest child to the oldest person whose life is ebbing away, there has been affliction and suffering and sorrows, doubt, Fear, pain, things we don't really understand and don't know. And we're on this pilgrimage. We're moving through life and we go to church and we hear the pastors and they give us good advice and they help us and they you know, point us to Jesus and do all that. But look, look at my life. Times of plenty, times of goodness, but there's also mixture. Throughout the Psalms, throughout the Scripture, you have tension. And as Christians... And believers in God, if you don't reconcile that tension through the Word of God, your Christianity is going to be miserable. We don't want that to happen. We want you, the Dawson, myself, the elders in this church, we want you to experience real, genuine Christianity where, yeah, afflictions come, but there's more to it than just the affliction. And this is where these couplets are so cool. Greatly they have been afflicted me. Let Israel now say, greatly they have lived. Now look at what's parallel to it. The, the psalmist has put these two things together to emphasize this contrast and bring it out to you. Look at verse 2. Yet they have not prevailed against me. You see, there's persistent hatred. Persistent hatred from the world. The world is upside down. God made us to live in harmony with the world. And after the fall, whatever you want to believe about the fall, whatever happened, the world went sideways and we with it. And God promised, I'll straighten it out, but you're going to have to what? Trust me. 
You're going to have to trust me through this, this journey. I want you to trust me. I'm not going to fix it like that. I'm going to take time because I have lots of people I want to bring along in this journey. That's why we're here. He loved you before you were born, we believe. He loved you and He loves you now and He will love you then. And He's going to be with you every step of the way, but you're going to have to trust Him. There is persistent hatred. We're enemies in this world and with this world. And so the second verse, yet they have not prevailed against me, is, it's beautiful. It's, it's a holy defiance. It's you standing up and saying to the world and confessing to God, they have not knocked me down. They have not had their way with me. I am Not because I am strong, but because He is strong. Throughout my life, I've lived long enough now, I can look back and see my journey and wow. The faithfulness of God is mind-blowing. The faithlessness... And the cowardice and the doubt and the fear of Chuck are also amazing. And yet, they have not prevailed against me. The, uh, the successor of John Calvin in Geneva was Theodore Beza, a magnificent theologian. And a lot of people don't, you don't hear about him because Calvin's you know, like the big deal. But when Calvin uh, died, the, uh, the French church uh, began to persecute the Huguenots who were the Reformed French, and they were very faithful people. They slaughtered, I think it's, the numbers are like 80,000, 100,000 Huguenots were martyred in France. And uh, one of the princes who later became King Henry of France was a Huguenot for a while. Then he went back to Catholicism for politics and all that. But while the persecution was going on, the prince, Henry, uh, was talking to Beza and concerned about this persecution. It's going to cause all of these people who have converted to Protestantism, they're going to now go back to the Catholic Church. And listen to this. It's just, he he told King Henry this, Sire... It belongs in truth to the church of God in whom name I speak to endure blows and not to inflict them. We're to to endure blows, not to inflict them. But it will also please your majesty to remember that the church is an anvil, an anvil that has worn out many a hammer. The church is an anvil that has worn out many a hammer, starting with Adam and Eve in the garden, and then Abraham and Moses and David and the patriarchs of the church, and now to us. We have inherited that legacy. We are the anvil. And the hammers will fail against the church. Yes? The church will succeed where everything else that we put so much trust in Like a dollar bill. You take a dollar bill and you look, oh my God, if I just had more of these. Really? It's paper. Well, I know I'll buy gold. Good luck with that. That too will fail you. The church is an anvil. And many a hammer has worn itself out. 
It's true of the Old Testament people. Where's Babylonia? Where's Nebuchadnezzar? Where are the pharaohs of Egypt? Where are the great kings of Assyria? Where's Nineveh? It's buried under the ground. Where's Rome? Just a tourist trap now. That was hopefully funny. I don't know. I've never been to Rome. Maybe I shouldn't say anything bad about Rome. Where are they? They're gone. Are they going to come back? Say no. Don't, don't tell me you're listening to somebody on late night TV talk about the book of Revelation and they're telling about all these kingdoms. No. If you read the book of Daniel, those kingdoms were destroyed. They will never come back. Even the Antichrist, whoever and whatever that is, not going to prevail. The Apostle Paul said this. Listen to these words. Just beautiful. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in our body the death of the Lord Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You see, the reality of the body, the here and now, the real pain. Christians have got off in this ethereal, you know, this doesn't matter down here. Our bodies are going to waste away. We're all going to die. I just can't wait to rid We don't even care about the body. We've become so spiritual. We don't realize that it's all about the body. If it wasn't all about the body... If it wasn't about who you are right now in your body and all the things that go along with that, answer me this, or as our young generation said, riddle me this. Is that right? Riddle me this. Russ? Is that something you guys say, or did I just imagine it? He's telling me I imagined it. Thank you. (laughs) Answer me this. Why is there a resurrection? Why in the world... Did Jesus come out of the grave? Why didn't He just die and then get everybody and go up there? He died for you in this world, in your body, with all of your pains and heartaches and troubles. He understands every one. The Psalms say He collects our tears in a bottle. You think this is a God that doesn't care about you and doesn't care about your stuff and doesn't care about the the doubts and the fears and the afflictions that come? No. This is a God who not only cares but sent His Son here. Not to stay up there and kind of magically fix things. He got in the gutter to save us. He went to rock bottom. If you've been in AA, you don't go to rock bottom. If you're a believer in Jesus, He goes to rock bottom and you get caught by Him before you ever touch rock bottom. That's the reality of the Gospel of Christ. That's who the psalmist is telling you. And me and the Apostle Paul, listen... Paul goes on. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus, provided we suffer with Him. Expect it. There's going to be heartache. But it's good news. He's with you in the heartache. You are not alone. Never Not for one minute. On your worst day, while you were yet in your sins, the book of Romans says, Christ came 
and died for the ungodly. On your worst day, what do you think He thinks about you now? You don't have any more worst days. They're bad, yes. But on that worst day, He came and died for you. And the strength and the power of that truth has to be drilled down into our hearts where that's what oozes out when the world is squeezing us. My friend Derwin and I had coffee this week and and he had a great analogy. It's like we're a sponge. You know, a sponge soaks up every molecule of water. It gets all in there. And that's what we try to, 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 to encourage you. Let the Word of God abide in you in such a way that when the world is pressing in on you, even your own failures and your own muddle, whatever you're muddling through, whatever that is, when the pressure is pushing, what comes out? Anger, hatred, fear, cursing. What comes out? But if what oozes out of you is the the power and presence, the reality, they have not prevailed. They will not prevail. They will not have the last word. Provided we suffer with Him, listen, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. See, there's something for you ahead. And for the world around you and those who are persistently hating us, there's nothing left for them but the grave. You can have pity, in some respect, on your worst enemy. You can bless. Jesus said, bless your enemies. Pray for the good of them because they can't hurt you. Folks, to persevere, listen carefully. I'm going to say this a couple times. I want you to get this. Perseverance is not resignation. It's not just clinging by your fingernails or like bumper sticker theology. Get a rope and what do you get when you get to the end of the rope? What are you supposed to do? Tie a knot. And hang on. That's why it's on a bumper sticker and not in your Bible. No, you don't get to the end of your rope and tie a knot. He's already got you tied up. Nothing is going to touch. You are so tied up with love and care that you are going to exist forever in His presence. The the present world be damned. Yeah? Okay. I know it's a bad word, but it's really not. Let goods and kindreds go this mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's word abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Where do you plant your... Every one of you, you're planting your roots in something. What are they in? Well, he's telling us it's got to be in him. Look at the second couplet and how, they, how he paired these up. It's just amazing. Verse 3, The plowers have plowed my back and made long their furrows. This is a graphic uh, vision of a tortured soul either bound up with cords and whipped to within an inch of their life or someone who has been so brutally 
afflicted, that he's been thrown on the ground and the way they, they punish him is to grind him into the dirt with a plow. Run over him and just plow his back. Or whip him mercilessly till there's just blood and bone. It's, it's a horrific description. They've plowed my, black, my back and made long their furrows. Look at the next verse. The Lord is righteous. You see, He put these together for a reason. Yes, the affliction, it's horrific, it's mind-boggling. You almost can't think about it, it's so graphic. And yet, what does He come back with? Just hang in there, do the best you can, you know, strengthen, try harder, get your Nikes on, try a little harder, you're just not trying hard enough, you don't have enough faith. God help us to throw that stuff in the trash where it belongs. Yeah? Just get rid of it. No, the Lord is righteous. I don't have to have a lot of faith. I don't have to have, really, all I got to do is just choose to, choose to believe that, that the Lord is righteous. Is He righteous? Well, everything that I have ever read in my Bible about Him from page 1 to the end is that He is righteous. He is just. He is true. He is not going to fail. And He's not going to do anything to us that is not going to be reconciled by His justice. Maybe not immediately. You may never even see it. But you can go to your grave with the words on your lips, the Lord is righteous. Because it doesn't end there. It goes on. And He says, the Lord is righteous. He, look at this, he has cut the cords of the wicked. And no, whatever that metaphor is of plowing the back, whether it's binding a, a prisoner and whipping them on a whipping post to within an inch of their life, whether it's that or whether it was uh, uh, the, pl the literal plow of, of a farmer and the yoke and the oxen and the harness and tying you up in that and then working you in the ground and running the plow over you. Whatever metaphor it means... It means that God steps in because He's righteous and you belong to Him. Not because of your great faith and not because of what a good person you are. I'm sure some of you are good people. I don't know. You really need to introduce yourself to me because I've never met you, any you good people. When I have coffee with people, I see, I see, and you see. We know, yeah? Don't look at me like that. We know. He cuts those bonds. He sets us free. The day that you told Jesus, I'll trust you, Jesus. I'm going to start today. I'm going to trust you. And when I fail, I'm going to trust you. And when I really fail, and when I just mess up everything, I'm going to keep trusting you. Holy defiance. Shaking your fist at the evil of this world and saying no. Now you're talking. Now you're talking biblical Christianity. Now you're talking about the real deal and not the fluff that we hear so very often. He removes, by cutting the cords, listen, He removes the power of whatever is out there over you. You say, well, yeah, but still I'm in debt and I've got this and that problem. I understand. Get out of debt. 
Take vitamins, get healthy, get exercise, do whatever you have to do. But don't lose sight of eternity because someday all of that's going to wear down. Some of us that are older, you know, if you've been to the doctor and you've had a couple of bad diagnoses in your life and your body's just not the same and it's not going to get better. It's what it is. What are you going to do? I just got to hang on till I die. No, there's more to your life. You know, we live with sorrow. I've, we, Aaron and, uh, uh, passed away. Marcos and I buried our father, Scott, and my dear brother, Scott. We buried our fathers this year. You look into it, get Keith buried his dad this year. All of us are going to look down into a, into a box on the people that we love. And for us, we do not have to step away in despair. Are you hurt? Are you wounded? Do you feel a loss that will never be replaced? Yes. But parallel to that, the couplet, he has cut the cords. And that's got to become your strength, the bedrock of what you believe. So that when we squeeze when we squeeze the sponge, that's what comes out. Thank you for that, brother. Beautiful. All right. So here's the conclusion. Look at these last few verses. He does two things. This is, can be a little confusing, but I'm going to go quickly. I think you'll understand. He concludes with a prayer and a prophecy. And they're uncomfortable. Look at five verses 5 through 7. May all who hate Zion, or the people of God, the believers, may all who hate Zion be put to shame, be turned backwards. Let them be like grass on the housetop that withers before it grows, that the reaper doesn't even bother with. In other words, it's useless. And you say, oh my God, Chuck, you just said to bless your enemies. Yeah, this is why you can bless your enemies. The, the, psalm, the psalmist would pray these prayers of imprecation. They're called prayers of imprecation. To destroy the enemies. To, to tear off their arms. Sometimes very graphic. Tear their arms off, O Lord, and beat them to death with it. That kind of thing. Take them and drown them in the, in the bottom of the deepest sea and let the sea monsters crush them. And eat. You know, it's like that. You go, well, how did Jesus... How could he dare tell us to bless our enemies? How could he do that? Well, folks, if you've been here for any length of time, and you know, you know what I'm going to say next. Because an injustice was done to the one who never prayed an imprecation one who was innocent, the one who didn't deserve to die, the one who should have had, on the, on the night he was praying in Gethsemane, he should have had the, the, the heavens open and, and looking at clouds of angels and choirs singing his praises. And instead, the only thing he saw was the gaping mouth of a grave and hell bellowing out at him. That's what your king saw. 
That's what your Savior experienced. He saw sights we will never see. He saw horror you will never know. So, well, I've been, I've been to war. I've been to Iraq and Iran and all that stuff. And, and not Iran, but Afghanistan. I've been over there. I've seen horrors you can't believe. You've seen nothing. He saw that. And what did he say to it? I will. Yes, we should pray that the wicked are confounded and that their plans come to nothing. But when you're looking around at people and you're hating them and you're thinking, you know, I've got to, I've got to fight back. I've got to fight for myself. I've got to defend myself. You better remember this. The one that deserved to defend himself didn't. He made it possible for you to bless your enemies and not to curse them. So he prays this prayer of imprecation and we should pray for justice. We should pray for righteousness to prevail. We should pray that the enemies of God are defeated. But then look at verse 8. This is where he concludes. Nor do those, this is the last part. There's the imprecation, but there's also a prophecy, a prayer and a prophecy. The prophecy takes form of a malediction. You all know what a benediction is? We, we do it each Sunday. We give a benediction. That's a bene, good word, diction. Benediction, good word. Malediction, a bad word. A curse. And here's how he phrases it. It's, it's truly extraordinary. Look at verse 8. Nor do those who pass by say the blessings of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. See, when people would greet, you know, like we say, hey, how you doing? Or, or something like that. When we greet one another, they would say the blessing of the Lord be on you and also on you. We're going to do that in a minute, by the way, in communion, right? What do we say? The Lord be with you and also with you. That's what you're looking at right there. Verse 8, the Lord be with you and also with you. We are blessing each other. And what the psalmist says, this blessing is not going to go on those people. They're not going to receive God's blessing. What are they going to receive then? A malediction, a malediction that equals death. How can we not pity other people, folks? I don't know what it is about us Christians. We have so much anger and rage. We can, we can find reasons to get mad about anything. If you have to wait too long for your double cappuccino, latte, cafe, whatever, or something like that, you can lose your ever-loving mind. Well, I've been here for five minutes. Where's my drink? That's what I do at Starbucks. I want to know where it is. I even ordered on my phone app, and it should be ready when I walk through the door. I should be able to breeze in and breeze out. And now I'm having to stand here and wait? Okay, let me get my head straight here. I'm going to pack it all back in before I lose my mind. And not over you, but this is me. <laughs> we are so crazy. All right. How do we do it? How do you live like this? Your pilgrimage, real quickly, listen. Your pilgrimage is going to include afflictions and sorrows and, and pains and hurts that they may be so severe that very few people 
could possibly understand them. And yet, we are enjoined by Almighty God to put these words on our lips. Words of holy defiance, where you don't just lay there and take it. You say, no, they will not, have not, never will prevail against me. Why? Because He's in me and I'm in Him and His love surrounds me. I am invincible. Indestructible. The outer man, the outer person may perish, but the inner person is renewed day by day. And someday, you're going to hear Him say to you, like He said to Lazarus, you're going to hear Him say, Gary, come out. Ugo, come out. Chuck, come out. That's your future. Why can he say that? How can he say that to you? Come out. Well, how can he say it? Because he went in. Our late brother Tim Keller, the real brains behind Tim Keller was Kathy Keller. She was remarkable. Kathy said that the angels rolled the stone away on Jesus' grave, not so he could get out, but so we could get in. He didn't need any help getting out, but we need help getting in. Fill your sponge. With this truth, with the Word of God, which is living and alive and can, can break any power, any chain, any darkness in your life. But if you treat God's Word just like, ah, oh, whatever, you know, I'm going to just not a big deal. I'll go to church once a week and just because I have to. Well, you know, your life's going to be very disappointing, to say the least. Fill your life with this and all of a sudden you'll have the affliction. You'll still cry. You'll still weep bitter tears. But something else will be there that when the pressure comes out, it comes to push out the darkness. The Sovereign Lord, listen to this, from the servant songs of Isaiah the prophet talking about the ultimate pilgrim the servant songs of the great king. Here's just one little refrain from these servant songs. We'll, we'll do a series in that one day. I really hope we can. So the sovereign Lord spoke to me. I listened. I have not rebelled. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me my cheeks, to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. This is what the Sovereign Lord, your God and Defender says. See, I have taken the terrible cup from your hands. You you will drink no more of my fury. 
Instead, I will hand that cup to your tormentors. Those who said, we will trample you into the dust and walk on your back. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The stripes on His back were placed there for me and by those stripes, by those deep furrows long on my back, by those I have been healed. Will you trust Him? That's all He's asking from you. He wants you to trust Him. I hope you will. Father, we thank You for Your kindness and mercy and for this Lord, our King, the servant who came to have His back plowed for us to take that cup of wrath and drink it down to its dregs so that we could now come to Your table, for goodness sakes, and drink a cup of joy It boggles the mind, O Lord. Please, help us in these crazy days we live in. We ask for your help and strength. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.